All right, good morning, everybody. We're actually going to be in Ezra today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Ezra 1. Big day for the McKinney's and the Reigns. Uh, Tanner, our drummer, um, not Seth is filling in today. Tanner's getting married today, so we, we're praying for them that there's no, no rain, you know. Um, that's kind of a concern, although everybody else in the room is like, God, we need rain. That's fine, but just not like, there's an hour, we just don't want any rain, you know. So we're praying for them as they're getting all prepared and uh, doing their thing uh, on, on a Sunday. Kind of an unusual day for a wedding, but that was the only time that the venue was available, so we, we get it. Um, so we're, we're praying for them and, and all. Um, Ezra, what a wonderful book. Um, the beginning of the return of Israel back to their land. Um, I, I got teary during one of the songs here. Um, sometimes that happens. And I thought about that a little bit. Why does that happen now? But anyway, it's not for you to worry about. But um, just our Father's faithfulness to call us home, our Father's faithfulness to forgive us no matter where or what we've been doing. Um, he always makes eye contact, is I guess the way I put it. I had an opportunity, I was picking up my uh, addiction here at Casey's before church. And, and met you guys picking up your addiction at Casey's before church. And uh, um, just made eye contact with the, uh, the, the, the lady checking us out. And had a great little conversation with her, you know. And I just wonder how many times she goes through where she says she has to say hello to everybody that walks in the door. You know, I'm like, that's got to be annoying. Hello. And they just ignore her and go to the bathroom. Or, hello. And they walk away. And she's just got to do it. And... Just making the eye contact and talking with her and, and just had a nice little exchange, not, not real deep. Um, so I'm sitting here getting teary and I'm having one of those moments with the Lord where I feel like he's made eye contact, I guess is what I'm getting at. And this is one of those times in Ezra where God was mad, he was upset, let them go into captivity. Babylon has captured the southern kingdoms, Assyria has captured the northern kingdoms, and they've been taken away for 70 years and this is to give the land the rest. They've been in the land for 490, and they never let the land rest like they were supposed to, according to Leviticus. They were supposed to let the land have its year off, give it a break, and they didn't. There was more to it than that, but that's what's happened. He's removed them from the land. The land is going to get all of its rest in one shot, 70 years. And now God has made eye contact with them again. And he's bringing them back to the land, and it's a beautiful thing. And he does it through... An unusual situation with King Cyrus. King Cyrus is not a believer. He's not Jewish. Um, the Babylonians had taken them captive, but um, they had been conquered by the Persians. The Babylonians did. So the Persians kind of inherited the Jews. And they're looking at him saying, what are you guys still doing here? And so King Cyrus gets moved by the Lord to send them back to their land. And it's a neat thing. And uh, it's neat when God uses those different ways. You expect certain people or certain ways for God to speak to you, and then when he does it in a different way, it, it catches you off guard, but boy, it, it grabs your attention even more than it would the normal channels, I guess. And so we see this in this uh, first chapter of Ezra. Ezra is not the first guy to lead him back. He's just the author. There are three groups of Israel's go, or Israelis going back from their captivity back to the land. The first group is led by Zerubbabel. He's the first guy to lead them back. And the first six chapters of Ezra covers Zerubbabel's return. He takes about 50,000 Israelis with him, and that is far less than actually got captured. It gives you an idea 
of some that have the pioneer spirit, the willingness to go do whatever it takes to get back to God, to get back to the land, to get back to that place where they were with the Lord. Um, and there's a lot of people that would just rather stay in Babylon. They'd just rather stay in Persia, you know, or whatever. And so we get that first group. The second group does get led back by Ezra, and he only takes about 2,000 with him, and he leads a spiritual revival, and that's chapters 7 through 10 of this book. So that's kind of how this book breaks up. And then Nehemiah gets his own book, which was also written by Ezra. Uh, and in, in Hebrew, the, those books are combined. Ezra and Nehemiah are one book, okay? But for our sake, King James, New King James, whatever Bible you have, they divide that up for us. So we have two separate books. But it's all written by Ezra, okay? So he's an eyewitness. He's a character. He's living it, and he's writing it all down for us. So that's where we are. Verse 1. Now, in the first year of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia conquered Babylon, inherited the Jews, you get it, um, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, and we'll get to it in a minute, but I wanted to stop there, what is this prophecy that he's talking about? Jeremiah wrote um, years ago, years ago, um, uh, about this event, 100 plus years ago, let's see, uh, yeah, about 100 years before this, prophesied about this very event. And that's the beautiful thing about Christianity. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but our book, our Bible, has prophecy. No other religion in the world has it. Not that it's accurate anyway. Um, and it's 100% amazing and true. And so that's what gives us that thumbprint of an eternal God upon the book that we're reading. That's how we know what we're reading is true. This isn't a collection of man's writings, as the world, uh, the worldly world tries to tell us sometimes. Well, that's just man's opinion. That's just man's book. That's just, ma well, okay, so is the science manual that you had in grade school, but you believe that. Why? You know, beyond that comparison, which is where the world wants to take us, you know, man-to-man uh, -man kind of thing, this has God's fingerprint, an eternal heavenly being, on this book because of prophecy. He tells us ahead of time what's going to happen. No other book does that, ever. Um, and so this is one of those moments where in Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 11 through 13, look how specific. And this whole land shall be desolate and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. He prophesies, you're going into captivity for 70 years. It's exactly what happened. Now, he doesn't know that. He has no geopolitical, you know, insight um, he's writing this even before it's even a thought process in the Israelis' mind that they're going to be conquered, okay? He's just letting them know ahead of time what is going to happen. Verse 12, then it, then it came to pass, um, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, uh, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity. And that's where the Persians came in and conquered them, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. I'm dealing with everybody. You know, I'm going to use Babylon to deal with Israel, and then I'm going to use Persia to deal with Babylon. I've got it all covered. Now, four chapters later, Jeremiah 29.10. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And it happened. And that's what we're reading about right now. Prophecy fulfilled. Now, um, another cross-reference I have, but we're not going to turn there, is Leviticus 25, 1 through 7, gives us the law 
that God gave to Israel about the land having its rest. Something you can look up and, and read and understand um, why he says, no, you, you've got to let it rest every seven years, give it a year off, or every six years, give it a year off. And they didn't, and so that's why we have the seven years of rest that they're going to take as they're removed from the land. Okay, Verse 2, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who was among you of all his people. May his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. It's quite a proclamation. Beautiful. He's so touched by it, he's got uh, God's attention, and he's very well aware of who is speaking with him. Um, and this is a pagan, um, but not anymore, really. Now, he may waffle back and forth between uh, worshiping other gods and this God, but he has encountered the true and living God so much so, it's so impactful that he writes this proclamation throughout us. We're sending them all back, whoever wants to go. I know I'm supposed to build a temple, he says. God told me to build a temple, but he knows I can't build the temple. That's a very humbling thing for a king to say, especially someone who, according to him, has conquered the entire world. But I'm not allowed to touch this. That's a humble thing. That's how I know he's really heard from the Lord. As he says, I'm supposed to build this house, but I can't do it. But his people can, and we need to let them go. And anybody around them that's not going with them, just give them money to go do it. I want you to bless them. Whoever's around these people, wherever they are, you're commanded by King Cyrus to go ahead and give them the money they need. I mean, can you imagine waking up one morning as an Israeli in this land and say, the king's got a new proclamation. Oh, man, what is it? You know, never knowing if the other shoe's going to drop for you. This is the day we all die, you know, kind of thing as Israelis. You never know how it's going to go when you're in other people's hands. And they say, yeah, you're supposed to go back to your land. You're free to do so. And we're supposed to give you as much money as we can for you to go do it. I mean, wow, what a beautiful day for them. And so he makes this proclamation. I hear from the Lord, um, you hear from the Lord, but to go this far to make it public like this, to step out and actually say it out loud what you heard, it, you're committed. I mean, you really are committed to it. There's a lot of things I feel like God's leading me to do, but I've been wrong so many times in the past. I'm like, I'm just going to keep this to myself in case I've blown it again, you know? But this guy just jumps right out and, and proclaims it to everybody. This is what we're going to do. Now, how many of his guys said, you're crazy? How many of them didn't hear from the Lord and challenged him? It's not written down, but I know from experience, when you go out and step out like this, and you say, I'm going to serve the Lord, or I'm going to do what God's told me to do, there are plenty of people that didn't hear from the Lord, that aren't prayed up, that aren't walking in the Spirit like they should, to come alongside you and say, well, let me be, you know, devil's advocate. And they don't know how close they are to that being true. You know, you want to play devil's advocate? I don't think you want to do that, you know, especially if I really heard from the Lord, devil, um, Peter, or whatever. Remember, Jesus calls him, you know, get behind me, Satan. Um, I'm very careful about that. And I've had enough experience with that now that I'm really careful about when other people tell me they've heard from the Lord. I'm not necessarily going to buy into it. I'm not going to jump on board with whatever God's told you to do. That's not my, he hasn't told me to do that. 
So don't expect that from me. But I support you. I think you should do whatever God's leading you to do. And if it's of God, it'll go great. If it's not, well, you'll find out, you know, just like I do. It's normal. But boy, I encourage you to do it, you know. Step out by faith and do what God's called you to do. It's very exciting. Uh, well, when it's right. It's, well, it's exciting either way, whether you're right or wrong. <laughs> um, but it's really great when it's right, when you really heard from the Lord and you, it wasn't your own flesh. Anyway, he does this. What a great thing to set these people free. And this, this proclamation starts the countdown. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 is a prophecy. Daniel was, you've heard the story, Dad, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the guys in the fire and all that. And think about those names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are all their new names, not their Israeli names. They're Israeli young men that have been taken captive during this time. They get brought to Babylon. They get given Babylonian names. And you'll read that here a couple times, Sheltiel and different kinds of names. That sounds Babylonian. Yeah, it's that same time frame. Daniel is one of them. Daniel in the lion's den happened in Babylon. All those stories are during this captivity. So Daniel prophesies while he's in Babylon, a chapter, chapter 9 of Daniel, and prophesies about the coming of the Messiah. Now, that is a long ways off for the coming of the Messiah. Not only the first time, but he also prophesies about his second coming. And that is a long ways off, but he prophesies anyway. And he says, when the time comes for, when the time happens, and we'll read it here, I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, uh, 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 yeah, whatever. Um, I'm not reading it. Um, when the time comes that this proclamation goes off, you can start the clock and 483 years later, the Messiah, the Prince, will come in, and we'll read that. It's 69 weeks of years, he'll come in for his first coming. Um, and Jesus, on the donkey, when he comes into Jerusalem, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you'd only known the time of your visitation. It's to, it's to the day, you know. Uh, we're here, and this is it, and this is the moment. Daniel prophesied about it in Daniel 9. Anyway... That time clock to the triumphant entry of Jesus uh, starts right now with this proclamation. So they should know the time. They should know the day. He makes it very public. Verse 5. Then the heads of the fathers... Um, there we go. Then the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites and all whose spirits... Uh, God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. So a bunch of free stuff. Just go ahead and get it done. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken. He's the Babylonian guy. He finds all this stuff that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the house of the Lord and gives it to him to take back with him. It's not ours, it's yours. Take it to the temple uh, and put it in the temple of his God. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of um, Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to uh, Shishbazar, the prince of Judah. And now that Shishbazar isn't really his original name, but it, it, it's very similar to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like I was saying. It's, he's an Israeli guy. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these uh, Sheshbazar took with the captives 
who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Okay, so a couple prophecies here I want to read to you out of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesies about this very thing and actually calls this King Cyrus who made this proclamation out by name, okay? By name he reads this out. This is 150 years before uh, this event. He makes this prophecy, Isaiah 44, 28, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. 150 years before he was born, by name, okay? Um, that's not a coincidence, that's not a, you know, there's, there's a guy, there's a current prophet, he's a worldly guy, you know, he's, he's, about, he's about 65% correct, you know, which as far as I'm concerned is a false prophet, and we should stone him, but it's, it's all right, we don't do that anymore. Um, if you're God's prophet, you better be 100% on, or, or you're lying, so that's not a good thing. Anyway, he, he prophesies about things and, and says, and it's so generic that you're like, oh, that must be the Twin Towers he's talking about, and oh, that must be the, you know, whatever, and that's this person and that person. Well, you could, you could really take that and put that anywhere in history, and it would fit. You know, fortune tellers have kind of a way of making it so I believe there's someone important in your life. There is, you know. I do have somebody important, and I think they're female. It's my mom. Well, <laughs> thank you, spirits. You know what? Uh, ridiculous. But people buy it. You know, you have a long lifeline. Well, you know, okay. Dumb. Dumb stuff. And so this is different is what I'm getting at. There are shysters. There are people that do that for a living. And then there's people that say 150 years before someone's born, there's a guy named Cyrus who's going to rise up and allow, after 70 years of captivity, the nation of Israel to go back to the land, and God's going to speak to them to build this temple. Boy, you better be right. I mean, you just gave us a time frame, you gave the names, <laughs> you know, and everything, and all of a sudden, there it is, you know. Um, anyway, prophecy. Isaiah 45.4, the very next chapter, a few verses later, for Jacob, Israel, my servants, for, for, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. Speaking to Cyrus. You don't even know who I am, but I'm calling you out by name. Even God recognizes this. This is going to be so ridiculously accurate. They're all going to doubt it. And so he just writes that in there. Yeah, I called him by name before he was born. What do you think of that? You know, kind of thing. I mean, how do you explain that? How do the doubters, how do they, well... And this is one of their, it was written beforehand. It was written, or written afterward. It was written after the event. That's why it's so accurate. I mean, it couldn't be done beforehand. It had to be written afterwards. Well, no. They've looked at the documents. It's absolutely beforehand. They know for a fact. It's been corroborated. There's no, uh, the investigation's been done as far as that theory goes, and it's been proven false. It, this prophecy in Isaiah was written before it happened. So now what do you do with that information? You just put it in the rearview mirror as an unbeliever and just say, I don't, I don't know about all this stuff. I, I don't know about all this. Okay, how many times, though, does God need to do something before it wakes someone up to say, wow. I mean, I'm truly reading a living document by an author who's outside of time and space, who can see things before they happen, that can tell me what's going to happen in the end. And then they accept it and understand that, okay, there is a true and living God. There is a... There is somebody out there that knows more and is a creator and does it all, you know. That's um, got to happen. And sometimes prophecy helps those people. Sometimes it clicks. 
Other times, people just love their sin so much that they're willing to ignore any kind of truth placed in front of them. And there's not much you can do about that. Um, You can't help them. And along those same lines, like I said, there's 50,000 people that go back with this Zerubbabel at this first return. Where is everybody else, you know? And I have taught this, I don't know, three or four times probably in my life, this same chapter. We've been through the Bible several times. And you can go this route as a pastor. You can teach people. Now, you need, to, you need to step up, and you need to go do what God's called you to do. Don't be like those people left behind, and you need to get up and go by faith like the 50,000. We want to be like the 50,000. And, and, and as I get older in the Lord, I know that if I have to drag somebody with me someplace that God's leading me, I'm going to have to drag them the whole time. Unless they get the idea and in their heart and a personal calling from God they will be baggage the entire time. You'll have to constantly shore them up, constantly keep them going, constantly motivate them. It's exhausting. They're better off with the 50. As much as I'd have loved a million of them to go back and really hear from the Lord, they probably got more accomplished with the 50 that knew God was calling them back and they went and did what God called them to do. Sometimes more isn't better. It just isn't when it comes to God's work. It isn't. Now, somewhere along the line, I heard the Lord call me, you know, and I answered that call, and it's been a blessing ever since, and I've seen amazing things. Um, But there were a lot of people in that room that night when I got the calling, a lot of people, and a lot of people didn't respond or didn't hear. Maybe it wasn't for them, and it was just for me. Maybe they got called a different time or whatever, but to worry about where the other people are, you just can't. It's a waste of time. It really is. I would encourage you to be the 50 in the sense that, yes, you probably are hearing from the Lord, and yes, you're not crazy, and it's okay to, uh, you know, obey that voice and to actually go for it and to jump without knowing the next step, but only know that God's called you to do it, and that's enough because these 50,000 do that. We're leaving. Where are you going? We don't know, you know. How's it going to go when you get there? There is there a lot of you know there are a lot of enemies there. Are you going to need a lot of swords? I didn't think of any of that, you know, before I jumped in and said I'm going. I packed my camel and I'm on my way, but I have no idea what I need when I get there. All I know is God's called me. That's, that needs to be enough, and you need to know that when you get there, God's going to take care of that too, and He's going to. Take, he wouldn't call me out there and say, "Oh, I forgot to tell him to bring swords," you know. Oh, that was ugly. You know, that happened quick. He's always going to provide a way. He always, he prepares you, first of all, in your heart to do the ministry, even though you don't think you're qualified. That's actually the qualification, is to not think you're qualified. And then when you get there, he's going to begin to equip you with everything you need. You'll just, oh, there it is. Oh, there's a sword and a hammer. I bet I need both. The fact that I found them both lying beside each other, I bet I'm going to need both. So I'm going to grab them both. Why do you need a sword? I don't know yet, but they were laying beside each other and I grabbed it. I don't have to know why. I just need to stick it in the scabbard and use the hammer until I need to use the sword, you know, and vice versa. And to just trust the Lord that he's providing for you. And these guys do that. And so that's where I guess I want to teach that this morning is I want you to be the 50. I want everybody to be the 50. I want everybody to hear the Lord and and respond and do what he's called and be radically saved and adventurous and all that. But um, that's up to you, you know, that's up to each of us as to whether we respond or not to God's call and we go for it without knowing. Um, 
God or the man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. You know, it's it's. I know I'm supposed to go, but I don't know how I'm supposed to get there. That's okay. God will get you there. You just need to answer that call in your heart to do it and, and, and be blessed. Now, that Daniel, um, chapter 9, verses 20 through 27 is the prophecy. Now, there's a lot going on in the first 19 verses, but we don't have time for that this morning. We're going to have communion this morning. We're actually going to have communion this morning, like I, I ditched on you um, last Sunday. Um, but I want to go over this. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 27 is the actual prophecy speaking of this uh, decree that King Cyrus has just made. So Daniel writing, Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, that's Gabriel the archangel, um, whom I uh, had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me, uh, talked with me, and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision." As soon as you prayed, God dispatched me as the messenger angel Gabriel to tell you and give you the answer to your questions. So here I am. Listen up. The 70 weeks, these are weeks of years. There's weeks of months, weeks of years, weeks of days. 70 weeks of years are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, that's the entire time of Israel. The next step that he's going to talk about here, that 70th week of Daniel hasn't happened yet. That's going to happen in the book of Revelation. That's Revelation 6 through 19. What he's going to prophesy about now and tell us the rest of it is that 69 weeks of years. you got 70 weeks of years. In the 69th week of year, that's the first time Jesus comes. The second time Jesus comes is that 70th week of years. And that's Revelation chapter 19, and that's when everything's taken care of. There's no more sin, an end of sins, end of transgressions, reconciliation for the iniquity, everlasting righteousness, sealing up vision and prophecy, no more of that. Okay, All that's happened. Because when you read verse 24, you're like, well, that didn't happen at the end of, or at Jesus' first coming, because John prophesied and wrote that entire book of Revelation, so he didn't seal up. What's going on here? That's because that's the 69th week of years. We still have one week of years left, a seven-year period, which is the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation period is that 70, 70th week of Daniel right here for the nation of Israel to accept their Messiah, who they rejected earlier, and to believe on him for salvation. That's what that's for. 6 through 19 of Revelation, you can read it. Tough time for them, but at least an opportunity. So, verse 25 now, back to our prophecy in Daniel. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, that's what we just read, King Cyrus, from that time, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, which is, add them together, 69 weeks of years, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be built. And after the 62 weeks, so you get that first seven-week period, then you get the 62 weeks. After that second 62-week span, here's what happens. 
Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. We get it. That's the cross. He comes. He comes in on the donkey on the day he's supposed to, but then he's cut off. Now, if you're Israeli and you're hoping for a Messiah to come and to save you, that part is a mystery. I thought he was coming to get me. Why is he dying on the cross? That was so confusing to everybody. That's why everybody forsook him. Everybody leaves him at the cross. This is not what we expected. We expected him to sit on the throne. We expected him to reign and rule and have righteousness all over the earth. We expected expected the, the end of all sin, the end of all prophecy, the end of all these things. He's like, no, no, no. This is different. I told you about that. Yeah, there's 70 weeks of years, but I said something's got to happen in that 69th week. Something has to happen. That's Messiah comes, but he gets cut off at that time. And he describes it brilliantly. I mean, amazing accuracy. It says, uh, he's going to come, then the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. They did, Antiochus Epiphanes destroyed Israel. That's when Jesus looks at the temple. He says, not one stone is going to be left on top of one another. It's exactly what happened after he was cut off. This guy comes in, this Roman comes in, the place catches on fire, the gold that's on the inside of the temple all melts and goes in between the cracks. He says, then rip it down. I want all that gold. And every stone was turned over to get all that gold that had melted and gone down between the cracks. It's just historical. It's not just in the in scriptures. In fact, it's not in scriptures. Um, it's only historical. So we know that happened. And he does. He cuts it off. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week that's that final week that 70th week of years revelation 6 through 19 he's going to make a covenant this guy this spirit that came this antichrist that came destroyed jerusalem destroyed all these things he's coming back with a vengeance antichrist and he's going to make a covenant with them for one week of years. The Jews are all going to think, oh, this is great. He's going to build our temple, the third temple. We're so excited about the temple. We're very excited. Don't be so excited about the temple. It's not going to go well. Because in the middle of that week of years, three and a half years into the great tribulation, he sets himself up as God in that temple. Oive, you know, not a good thing. The Antichrist helps them build it, does it, and says, you know what? I'm all that. I'm going to sit down, and I want you to worship me. That's not what they signed up for. That's when the bell rings. That's when the red flags go off and they realize we have followed the wrong guy and they receive, a lot of them, Christ as their Lord and Savior. You can read that and go through that in Revelation. So here it is. He brings an end to sacrifice and offerings. All that ceases because he's here. And on the wings of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Now, if you're reading that back in Daniel's day, or you're reading that during Ezra's day, and all that's a, it's just a little Greek, you know, it's, a, it's like, what is happening here? That's a lot. And that was a lot. If that's the first time you've ever heard that or been taught that, that is a lot. I understand. And, and just start reading, just start going through it, read the Revelation, see how it all plays out. It's chronological. It's not hard to understand. Um, it's weird. It's mysterious. I mean, there's some things going on there that we don't quite grasp. But it, he sets it up so we understand the order of things. You know, there's this time when John's going to get this beautiful prophecy and write, all, write it all down and tell us all about it. And chapter 2 and 3 talks about the church age. That's where we are right now in history. Chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 4, it starts off with, and he brought them up. You know, uh, the rapture takes place. Chapter 4. 4 and 5 of Revelation talk about us in heaven. 
and what's going on up there. And then chapter 6, we get a view of what's going on in, on earth, the great tribulation period, 6 through 19. 19, hey, here comes Jesus on his white horse with us, on white horses with him. We come back with him. Horses are great. God loves horses. Um, and then you get the great white throne. you got a thousand-year reign of Christ, and you've got the great white throne judgment where everybody gets judged, death and Hades, and it's all done. I mean, that's a really brief, you know, synop, but that's, that's, have that time, have that frame of mind when you're reading it. It really, really helps as you go through this. Um, so, that's how, <laughs> what, what are you getting at? Well, Ezra 1 is very important. It starts the clock. All that to say, everything I just said, what we just read about King Cyrus starts the clock to Jesus. The clock is ticking. You know, 483 years later, Jesus is going to come in on the donkey saying, you guys should have known the day. You should have known the day of my visitation. And then he's cut off. And then you've got this gap. You've got this time frame where the Jews, it's a mystery. Even Paul writes about it. There's this mystery about the church, the mystery, the mystery, the mystery, because we didn't know much about it. We knew the Gentiles were going to get saved. We didn't know much about it, but there it is. And here we are, you know. And then when that church age is over, when it's done, when the time of the Gentiles is complete, that's us. We're out of here. Boom, 70th week of Daniel. The final week of Daniel kicks in. It's amazing, you know. Um, And so... Before we go to communion, we're going to do that in here in two minutes. We're going to start this. And, and um, I know I'm jumping around here. Chapter 2, you're welcome. It's all names. And so next week we're going to pick up in chapter 3, okay? You can read all those names between now and next week on your own so that you don't have to listen to me go, um, I think that's how it is. Um, I don't know. Um, you know. So you read those on your own, okay? Okay. Okay. Um, when you look at the world around you and what's going on in the world and we get worried about some things and we get concerned about things and we look, how is this going to play out? Where are we headed with this? What's with the mass? How should I feel about mass? What's with the diseases? What do we do? This is what we need to know of these prophecies to understand, to, to read the book of Revelation, to understand it, to know these things. He writes all this down for us, just like he told the disciples way ahead of time, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again, so that they didn't freak out, so that they didn't worry. But they didn't listen to him, and they worried. We have the exact same information. He's given us everything, how it's all going to play out, and how the world ends, how we get to heaven, how he's going to rule and reign. We have all that information. We ought not, as Christians who know that, be freaking out about any of this stuff. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you think this plague's bad? You wait till SARS 3.0, you know, and SARS 10.6 and whatever. You mean you wait till a third of the earth drops and a third of the clean water is poisoned. And, I mean, I got, I, you, you're worried about that? Oh, man, let me give you something to really worry about. And you can start telling your friends about something they can really worry about, you know. Um, you need Jesus because this ain't nothing compared to what's coming down. The world has never seen anything like the book of Revelation chapter 6 through 19. They've never seen, they've had tribulations, but they've never had a great tribulation like this. I mean, it is so impactful. It is so all-encompassing. Um, you talk about a pandemic, it is, a, it is horrible what's going to happen. And the good news about that is we can be prepared and you can be found. Oh, it's a way for us to escape all of that. That's what the rapture is all about. Jesus takes his bride home, keeps us from that hour of trial, he says, 
Right in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, he lets them all know, hey, guess what? I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial. It's not for you. I'm not going to keep you in that hour of trial. I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial. And there you go. I will take you home. Do you want to avoid something that's like 50 billion times worse than what we had last year? You think 2020 was bad? You wouldn't believe what's coming. You want to avoid it? I do. You need Jesus. That's the only way out of this, you know, and you can share with them. So um, it's good to know. Knowledge obviously gets rid of mystery. And when you have mystery, when you have that ignorance in your, in your, in your heart, it brings fear. It just does. And fear just, it's, it's a horrible thing to live with. And we're, we're not meant for that. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear at all. He's given us a spirit of power, his spirit. He's given us all the wisdom, all the knowledge we, we, we need to walk without that fear. Um, we can walk right through all this stuff and with knowledge and, and, and be a blessing. Um, we did training. This is where I'm going to close. We did some uh, security training up at Jeremy's church, Jeremy Higgins Church up in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It's church security and all that. And we did, uh, got to use simunition and everything and live, you know, live simunition. And I got, I got a wound I could show you if I wasn't so well round down here now. It's a little bit, if I had abs, I'd show you the wound, but I don't have abs. So I'm not going to show you. And it's like, oh, um, great time. First scenario we went through with all my background, still nervous as a jackrabbit, just shaking. You know, what do I do? What do I do? We got all got our masks on. We got our, we got our Glocks. We got our simulation. And we're, what do you do with, with a live active shooter in church? What do you do? You know, kind of thing. And, and you kind of, you flub it. You just do. But we went through it six times. And by the time the sixth time came around, you were like, I got this. I mean, I know what to do. I understand that. And, and I understand that I, I don't need to be so jumpy and I can relax and I'm just watching and I'm, I've taken all the mystery out of it, all the wonder, all the concern, and I'm able to just be in the moment and watch it all happen and actually be a blessing during the crisis, you see? I can actually be running towards the event and not away from the event because of my fear. As Christians, the way I'm going to segue into this is we ought to know so that when this crisis starts to hit, when we see these labor pains Revelation 1 talks about coming, when we see these things begin to happen, we see the world kind of being bubbled up, we don't have to be running in fear. We can actually be a blessing in the crisis and give people an answer, a reason for the hope that we have. Why are you so calm? Why aren't you afraid? Why aren't you freaking out? Why don't you have a card that says you've been vaccinated? What's wrong with you? What's, what's, your, what's your deal? Well, because let me tell you how it's all going to go down. Here's what's going to happen. And you can be this way too. You can enjoy you know, and, and, and watch God work and, and bring people into the kingdom during that time to be a blessing. So that's where we close today. We're going to have communion now. Thanks for getting that ready for me second week in a row. Sorry about that. And we'll have the guys pass it out and we'll go over uh, the elements really quick.
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writing to the Corinthian church speaks of this um, um, time with the Lord and explains it to him and why we do what we do and, and so on. So if you're new or if you haven't been walking with the Lord and just coming back to him, this kind of gives you an idea of what's happening here and, and what's going on. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And here's what it is. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And what he means by that is when, you, when we partake or have this moment together, we're proclaiming in our hearts and out loud in public that what Christ did at the cross when he died on the cross, that's sufficient for the forgiveness of my sins, that he is the sacrifice. All the Old Testament had the sacrificial lamb and all these other animal sacrifices where the sins of the person were passed to the animal, the animal was slaughtered, and that covered over our sins. Well, that was all pointing to what Jesus would do the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so when we have this moment together, we're acknowledging that, that Jesus is the Lamb. There are no others. He is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And we place our trust in him, and we believed in him for salvation. And so we proclaim his death. I'm not going to die. He died for me. It's no longer I that live, but he lives through me. It's what's happening here when we do this. It's an acknowledgment that we've accepted that sacrifice, that God has accepted that sacrifice as enough for our sins. And that's as simple as it gets. That's as, as plain as I can put it. Now, he goes on to claim there are some of you that shouldn't eat or drink this because you're going to eat or drink this or have this moment in an unworthy manner. And a lot of people think that means it's because they've sinned or they're not right before God and therefore they can't. They have to be perfect, right, confessed, whatever it is, before they can have this moment. And that's not what he says. That's not what it means. Um, the imperfect or the, the unworthy manner is, I know what history says and I know what my friends have said about Jesus, that he died on the cross, but I don't believe in him. I don't trust in him for salvation. I don't believe he's the Lamb of God. I don't believe there's a way to heaven. And then you eat and drink. It says you eat and drink judgment to yourself because you're not understanding it. You're just saying, I know what you say, and I reject it, and I'm going to eat and drink anyway. You are eating and drinking judgment to yourself is the idea. So if you're in that place in your heart right now, where I'm not sure I can buy into this Christianity thing or not, I'd ask that you don't eat or drink this morning. That's the only thing that keeps you from doing that, to, from partaking today with us, is that you don't believe in Jesus. I don't buy it. I'm not into it. Then don't eat or drink. Just set it down until you're ready. You know, Paul goes on to say, though, if you have that cup and you have that bread in your hands and you want to be worthy, you want to be that place, he says, then judge yourself. That's all he's asked us to do in scripture, to judge ourselves. You know, we talk, the whole world talks about, oh, don't judge me, don't judge me. That's fine. Judge yourself. Look at your own life. Is there sin? According to God's word, have you sinned? Have you separated yourself from the Lord? And then you judge yourself. I have. Find yourself guilty is the idea. I am guilty before the Lord. I don't need anybody to tell me. I don't put up a defense. I flat out did it. I, I admit it. I'm not calling an attorney. 
I did it. And you admit your sin. You confess, you own it. Now that you're in a worthy place, you're in a place where you can accept that forgiveness. Once you tell Jesus and you tell the Lord, I've done this, I'm guilty of my sin, he can then look at you and say, then you're forgiven of your sin. I wash you clean. I wash you white as snow. There's no more payment. My son died for that sin that you just admitted to. It's all covered. And we can eat and drink in a worthy manner at that point. And so that's what Paul says. He takes you through that whole thing. First of all, let's eat and drink remembering the Lord. If he's not your Lord, make him your Lord. If he's not your Savior, make him your Savior. And then we all eat and drink together. So, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. The, the first chapter of Ezra, um, the heart of the pioneers and the people that want to return. Um, and Lord, here we sit with this cup and this bread in our hands. And we're coming to you acknowledging that um, you've saved us from our sins. That you've made eye contact with us like you did with the nation of Israel that uh, there's an opportunity for us to walk with you and to be close to you again and to be obedient to your word uh, as Ezra is going to lead them, the nation of Israel, in that. Lord, we want to be those people. And so we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins this morning. We accept that forgiveness. We believe you're our Savior. We make you our King. And uh, we want to walk with you our whole lives. Uh, we judge ourselves. We know that we've sinned, that we've fallen short of what we should be. Um, we're not perfect. Um, but we know that your son paid for all of those imperfections, paid for all of those sins, and that we are righteous before you now, that that sacrifice that he made for us was accepted by you. And so we're very happy with that. And, and so we eat and drink in acknowledgement of that, um, that you're the, you're the lamb, you're the one that took away the sin of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's eat. Now, for those that are watching online and who will watch this later on, and just for you guys know too, on Mondays from 1 to 8 p.m., 1 p.m. to 8 p.m., we have the church open, and we have communion set up on that table right in this back row, um, and you're welcome to come in on your own and have a time of communion with the Lord if you, if you want that alone time with him. I know sometimes on the, in these mornings, you're like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I want to sit. I want to kind of marinate in the Lord, you know, a little bit longer. I understand that. Um, but that's what that time's for. Come on in. No one will bother you. The sanctuary is quiet. No one's going to be in here. There might be other people enjoying the same thing you're enjoying, but it's available for you if you want it. And if you're online and you can't get here, you're a little still concerned or you're, you're susceptible to sickness or whatever, and you'd like to have that time of communion, but you need to kind of be isolated, that's available for you too. Come on out for that uh, tomorrow, Mondays, one to eight. We have it up every week. Um, and uh, you just enjoy that time. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together. We pray that you'd keep it in our hearts, um, um, have that peace, that reassurance, that understanding, that knowledge that we can be a help in a crisis. That as people are going through life crises all the time, not just worldly ones and, and end times stuff, that just makes the, the worldly ones or the, the personal ones even bigger. Help us to be a blessing in their lives, to be a minister to them, to serve them to give them a reason for the hope which lies within us, that they might have that same hope, um, that they can walk without fear, that they can walk with knowledge and understanding, and that all that mystery would be removed, that, uh, um, that your kingdom would just expand, Lord, that more and more people would trust in you and be able to walk in this world 
Uh, when the world panics, uh, we can be there to help, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week, guys. If you need any prayer before you go, please come on out. And if you want to crack your glasses, you can crack them, I guess. I forgot.